I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share God's Word with you because we're in the season of our calendar year where 80% of people abandon their New Year's resolutions, according to a study of 800 million people. And I'm glad I discovered decades ago God's promise to bring transformation into His children's lives and God's process for bringing that fully satisfying transformation. These next four weeks on A Significant Life, we'll understand fully how that satisfaction can be ours in season after season of life. Our series title is Encountering God's Goodness. And today we'll learn what Jesus taught about false worship versus true worship and why he said one should be trashed and the other should be highly treasured for its ability to transform. We'll also study the Apostle Paul's words, which give us the clearest pattern for experiencing this transformation that I know of in the Bible. But before we enjoy our time together in God's Word, I want to welcome all of you who are with us today on the Pray.com app. What an amazing tool this app is for God. We say welcome to anyone watching from the 125 nations of the world where Pray.com is viewed. By user base, I'm told, has grown now beyond 100 million people. We consider ourselves extremely blessed to have this opportunity for ministry because we're passionate about God's people and His church living in His best all over the world. Let's learn how. We live in a day whenever churches have been defined by worship styles, right? Some churches say they're more contemporary. Other churches say they're more traditional. Some churches are really big on being a place where you can count on them treating seekers or new people who are just investigating the faith with a lot of love. And then there are other churches that say, well, I want to make sure that the Word of God isn't compromised. And I want to make sure that nobody is, you know, not talking about certain parts of it. And concerning the second one, that's really an immature perspective because the Bible says that we're supposed to speak God's truth in love. And what that means, like Jesus, we should never not speak about anything that the Father wants spoken to his people because if we don't share his wisdom, God can't make things go well in that part of people's lives. But we also should speak the truth in love. And did you notice about Jesus that people who didn't agree with Jesus still liked Jesus? And the reason people often liked him was was because Jesus was so good at loving people. But this morning, I'm not going to talk about the style of worship, but I want to talk about something I believe is even more significant, and that is how significant is the worship that's happening on the inside of your heart? The Apostle Peter was very concerned about this right before he died. He wrote his final epistle about 30 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, and he wanted his generation to remember that God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. Wow, what an amazing promise that is, that everything we could possibly want to have a godly life. And let me clarify that. When we talk about a godly life, we're talking about the abundant life that Jesus promised to guide us into on earth as our shepherd. When we talk about a godly life, we're talking about entering eternity with a lot of rejoicing and, and, and living with rewards in our life instead of living a life we regret. And, and Peter said, I want you to remember that God's divine power can give you everything you need, but it comes through 
the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Because that's what true worship really is. It's encountering God's goodness. It's growing in his knowledge. And because of that, having God meet our needs. You know, John Wesley's a man who's been written about a lot in history. And the reason so many people have written about him is because he led one of the most transformational movements in the history of Christendom. And the the movement he led wasn't so much a theological revolution, but it was more of a personal and a social revolution. And let me explain that. The, the, the Great Reformation had already happened. And so people had the truth. They believed about God, challenged by the truth of the scripture. But in Wesley's day, people were basically in two camps. There were people in the traditional camp, some of them who even embraced better or, or theology from the word of God because it was brought to their attention. And then there were dissenters, and those were people who were kind of against the established church because they felt like it failed to teach the truth. And Wesley saw that even though there were people who were battling over truth, the battle wasn't being won in human hearts. And Wesley had a saying that I've read he would say often with his passionate personality, and he'd say it with a Latin flair. He'd say, let me be homo unius a libra, which means let me be a man of one book. And what he was saying was, listen, this is the book that we should have such esteem for because we know that God inspired this book. And everyone knew that Wesley was a man of great learning and that he was educated in many disciplines, a constant reader. So when he would hold up this book and say, let us be a a person of one book, he was saying, let us never forget that of all the education ever given to man, how many of you know this is the book God said will heal us from our destructions and will cause our burdens to turn into blessings in our life? Can you say amen? And so that's what true worship should do. And this morning, we're going to learn first what Jesus taught about true and false worship, and then we're going to look at Paul's words, and we're going to look at, at how to start enjoying transformational worship better in our souls. You know, Jesus said that false worship happens for two reasons. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 15 to the religious leaders of Israel. It says, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders and they don't wash their hands before they eat? Now, how many of you can see that that's a question more centered on the style of worship than the significance of worship. But Jesus came back with a reply that talked about the significance of worship. He said, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And what Jesus was saying is the traditions, if we're not careful, begin to define our worship more than what God knows about transforming our lives began to define our worship. And so Jesus used a compelling argument that you really couldn't stand against and then listen to what he said next because whenever they challenged him he took that as an opportunity to challenge back and he said to them you hypocrites Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you that these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me and because of that they worship me in vain and their teachings become but merely traditions in other words we're more concerned about what we want as people when we come to church than we are what God wants for us and from us as people whenever we come to church. So Jesus tells 
tells us that, listen, tradition can hinder the effectiveness of God's work in our hearts. And so the culture we worship with, it means everything. It means, you know, whether our kids are going to be attracted to the faith or not. It means whether we're going to worship in vain or whether we're going to worship and really love God because of what he's doing in our life. And Jesus said there's two things that false worship fails to deliver because of these reasons. Number one, he said false worship doesn't train our hearts to honor God. You remember what he said? He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then the second reason, he said, false worship doesn't train our hearts to obey God. He said, their hearts are far. And in the Greek, what it means is their hearts are far away from me. Now, could you imagine if you were trying to help your child have a blessed life and you could tell that even though you're really trying, their heart's far away from you. Well, obviously, you can't do much for a child whose heart is far away from you. But if you're a healthy parent who has a lot of wisdom to bless your kids, if they honor you and if their heart's close to you, then God can do great things for them in life. And what true worship does is it causes us to honor God, Jesus says, and because of that, we start receiving from God in ways we wouldn't receive from God if we weren't honoring God so well. Now let's look at Paul's words about how to enjoy transformational worship because the reality is Paul was somebody who would have said, I was educated by the most esteemed uh, educator in the, in the Jewish movement. His name was Gamaliel. And then he would say, and I was an exemplary student. I graduated top of my class. And then he'd say, I didn't just uh, learn either. He said, I lived it, man. I was fervent. And I tried to live the mission of my church. But what it caused him to do was he became a persecutor of believers who imprisoned people, even was responsible for the death of real believers. And of course, Paul had a miraculous encounter where he saw the light and it changed everything. So if anybody was passionate about what true transformational worship was, it's the Apostle Paul. And fortunately, he gave us an understanding of it in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, when he wrote these words, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. And then he says, this is your true and your proper worship. Now again, if there's true worship, then there's false worship. If there's proper worship, then there's improper worship, right? And so Paul is saying, I want to teach you what proper worship really is. And it's interesting in my New International Version, when Paul says true and proper, it's really just one word in the original manuscript of the Bible, and it's logikos. And it means to be reasonable and to be in tune with what's right intellectually and emotionally. So God wants to bring us to the point where we're in tune with how God feels about loving people. We're in tune with how God thinks we should live our lives. And let me say this, sometimes people will say to you, you know, you just got to have faith. You're not going to understand a lot about Christianity, but you just got to have faith. And there's truth to that because sometimes you have to have faith even though you don't understand, but God understands what needs to happen in this circumstance and situation. 
And there have been many times when I had to step out not knowing everything that God was thinking in his mind. But there's another side that that produces mindless Christianity. And next week we'll talk about where Jesus said, you've got to continue in my word. And then the more words you know, the more truth and blessing you're going to have in your life. And Christianity should not cause you to discredit learning. It, could, it should cause you to discover the wisdom of God and how wonderful it is in your life. And Paul said that's what true worship begins to do. Think about it. We're told that if we really want our things to go well in the life of our kids, there's two things we have to do. Number one, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, and honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it goes well with you and you enjoy a long life on the earth. So you notice the two things Jesus taught. Number one, there's an honor for God and good people, and there's a, a desire to obey the things that God knows are going to come my life to be rewarded now listen it's a battle and Paul talks about that he said there's three things that you're going to have to do if you're going to win this battle for transformational worship number one he said true worship treasures God's mercy do you notice how he started the text he said in view of God's mercy I urge you to offer your bodies and for some people today the reality is we're not ever going to experience the worth of God until we quit condemning ourselves for the wrong things that we've done you do not deserve bad just because you did bad what you deserve when you do bad is a new beginning from almighty God who loves Loves you so much he sent his son to die for you so he could take you from bad into blessed can you say amen and Paul learned that you know Paul should have known with his upbringing that there's an Old Testament book called Hosea you know what Hosea is about it, it was it was a prophet God raised up whenever his people had turned away from him and they were living immoral and ungodly lives and God spoke to a man named Hosea and he said I want you to be my prophet and here's what I want you to do. I want you to marry a prostitute. And even though she'll go back into prostitution while you're married to her, and you'll have children by her, she'll still go into prostitution. I want you to keep loving her because I want people to know that's the kind of love that I have in my heart for people. And listen, that's what God has for us, is he has a heart of mercy regardless of what we've done. You know, it's interesting to me in Isaiah 55 that that God raised up Isaiah and again it was very much like our day where there were a lot of people who knew some things about worship but also sin had conformed society to the point that people's lives had more cursing than they wish their families had more cursing than they wish and society at large had more cursing than they wished and, and it's so interesting how God said to Isaiah the same thing that Paul taught us about transformational worship and that is God started in Isaiah and I wish I put this on your notes but I didn't put this first scripture in verse 7 where God said here's your answer I just need the unrighteous man 
to forsake his thoughts. I need the wicked people to forsake their way. And I need them to understand that I'm a God who abundantly and freely pardons anybody regardless of the sins that they commit. But then he went on to say this, but you have to know my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways, declares the Lord. As a matter of fact, as high as the heavens are above the earth, God says that's how high my thoughts are above your thoughts. And he said, but as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and and flourish so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so that's what my word's like. He said, it goes out of my mouth and it won't return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and the purpose for which I sent it. So God wants us to know that if we want to be transformed, it starts by understanding God abundantly pardons us no matter what what we've ever done but there's a second part a transformation of worship and that is that true worship also has to surrender to God's ways it has to surrender to God's leadership it's why Paul says after we view our lives within the lens of God's mercy he said I want you to offer your body as a living sacrifice in other words I want you to trust me that if you'll obey me fully that I give my very best to those who obey me and who leave the results in my hands now listen we don't do this by nature I heard a funny story the other day about a missionary who was reaching a tribe who had never heard about Jesus didn't never had a Bible so he had about 12 people from this tribe who came to Christ and he started teaching them about what real prayer was what real Bible reading was and then he got the real church and he told them listen real church we gather together so that we can learn things that'll make our lives better so we can sow into each other's lives and support each other so we can fulfill things together we couldn't fulfill alone and then he started teaching on church and and he got the last part and he was going to talk about how God was going to provide for this thing in their community called church and so he he asked these 12 people first he said so how do you think we should let God provide for church and first of all one of the men stood up and he said well I think we should take all the money that we earn in a week and we should just throw it in the air And he said, let's draw a circle that's about this big. And he said, whatever lands in the circle belongs to God. Whatever's outside of the circle belongs to us. Well, there was a woman who thought he was stingy. That happens from time to time. And the woman said, no. She said, we need to draw a bigger circle because God deserves more. And she said, then we'll throw the money up in the air. And whatever's in the circle belongs to God. Whatever's outside the circle belongs to us. Well, there's a teenager in the crowd. And how many of you know that can be dangerous, right? And the teenager said, how about this? How about we throw the money up in the air and whatever God wants, he can keep. Whatever falls down, (laughs) it belongs to us. And listen, we all have ways of thinking about life. And here's what God says, listen, my thoughts aren't your thoughts as a matter of fact look up to the heavens and as far above the 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 heavens as the the heavens are uh, over the earth I want you to know that's how far 
are, my thoughts are above your thoughts. So he says, I want you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Now it's been well said, the only problem with the living sacrifice is how many of you know it can get off the altar? Can you say amen? And that explains why some people receive the mercy of God, but they don't have much blessing because their ways don't change. And, and Paul teaches us, listen, condemnation can rob you of the blessings of worship, but serving ourselves or others can, can rob us of the blessings of true worship as well. Now, I want us to look at what Jesus said to his disciples shortly before his death, and I want us to see how Jesus addressed the components of true worship. He said first to them, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And I want you to remain in my love. We'll talk more about this next week, but Jesus was saying, I want you to know, regardless of how many mistakes you make, I want to have mercy on you, and I want to love you regardless. And the truth is, when you read the Bible through that lens, it's very obvious that the disciples would have never became the people they were if it wasn't for how Jesus had mercy on them, regardless of what problem they went through. If you're parenting, one of the most important things you do is is establish mercy in your home. Because if you don't establish mercy, your kids will hide their sins from you instead of letting you help them through things that they're going through in their life. And we should be known as the biggest helper that our kids have in our home. But then Jesus said, I don't just need you to to remain in my love, which he did because read the Bible. The first church split happened during the launch because five of the top leaders said, I'm fishing. I'm not going to be part of the church whenever Jesus was launching it. But then Jesus said, I don't just want you to remain in my love. He said, but if you keep my commands, you're going to remain in my love just as I've kept my father's commands and I remain in his love. And I've told you this so your joy may be in you and this joy may be complete in other words Jesus said listen I want you to test me remember what Paul said he said test it and you'll approve of it if you test it that God's way is good God's way is pleasing God's way is perfect but you got to test your heart and let God have his way over your way before you realize how wonderful it is and Jesus said the same thing to his disciples he said I want you to do two things I want you to remain in my mercy and I want you to trust that I know what I'm doing in your life and if you do, your joy is going to be greater than you ever dreamed your joy can be. How many of you know that's what true worship does, right? It lets us know there is a God whose love is so wonderful. Nothing in this world can compare to it and that's what true worship invites us into. It requires honor in our hearts requires obedience that sometimes we may not want to give to God. But here's the third thing that Paul says about true worship, and that is it'll transform your mind first, your methods next, and then ultimately your manner of life. Listen to what he said in verse two. He said, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, be transformed by renewing your mind. In other words, don't think the way culture thinks. Instead, begin to think the way Christ thinks and see if it's not a better deal than what you've done up to this point. And Paul says, if you won't conform, he said, you'll be transformed and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you notice that true worship 
requires us to change our thinking first and our behavior second, and then it brings the blessing of God into our life. And it's sad, but throughout church history, people have been so concerned about the style of worship and finding a style of worship that they really like But God wants us to know that the significance of our worship is so much more important than the style of our worship. And that we can have true worship, we can have false worship. We can have worship that's transformational, and we can have worship that's worthless. And it really comes down to how our heart looks at how we relate to God. And I want to give you this closing illustration that will really help you, I think, see what I'm talking about. I remember when I was in my 40s, I think, and I was a competitive athlete into my early 20s. And so I used to work out, but, you know, I would work out to compete. And then I had kids, and I had, you know, a growing church, and there's a time whenever I didn't work out the way I should. Can anybody wave your hand if you can understand what that's like, right? So I came to a Christmas service and there was a precious saint, Josephine Uresti, for those who remember her. And I remember she greeted me after our Christmas service and she said, Pastor Jim, she said, I got you tamales for Christmas. But she said, I told Lawrence, Pastor Jim is getting fat. He's getting fat. <laughs> and so I decided I'd go home and I would look at, <laughs> I'd look at my pictures from when I was 29 when I started into my 40s. And I agreed with Josephine, Pastor Jim, he was getting fat. So I thought I had to do something about this. And I started running our road. We live on a road that's a mile and a half in length. And I was running it still as a competitive athlete because that's how working out made sense to my mind. But I didn't have the goal of being a competitive athlete anymore. I just wanted to be healthy and to live a long life at this point in my life. So I'm running the road. And fortunately, one of our young people really into fitness drives by and they put down the window and they said, Pastor Jim, you're driving, you're running fast, man. I said, no, I'm just an old guy trying not to get a big gut, man. I'm just trying to to lose. So I'm like, you know, gasping while I'm saying it. And they laughed and I could tell they were, they were going to be hesitant to say it to me. But then they said, Pastor, it's hot out there. You better be careful that you don't get a heat stroke. And then later they were real compassionate and they started explaining to me cardio rates I should exercise in, the best way to burn fat in my body, you know, how stretching and and lifting weights should be done at the age that I was at. You know what they did? They started transforming my life. And I encountered goodness And I began to grow in the knowledge of somebody who was wiser than me. And because of that, my workout routine is much, much better than it was the day that I was gasping on the streets and could have had a heat stroke, you know, that day. And I just want to encourage you, wherever you're starting this year, in your marriage, in your health, in your finances, whatever's going on, how many of you know we couldn't be loved more then we're loved by God. And how many of you are glad he's got everything we need to live a life that's abundant and blessed? Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I trust you are encouraged that your life doesn't need to be one characterized by failed resolutions. God's plan is that we enjoy wonderfully satisfying transformation. Jesus said we could, and Paul sure enjoyed it, and so can you. 
I know you're going to be blessed by this impact testimony of someone whose life God transformed. But first, if you've never received the salvation Jesus came to bring us all, let me encourage you. God wants you to treasure how he loves you and how he leads your life. And it starts with this prayer. You can pray with me. Jesus, I turn from sin and I trust you as my Savior. Amen. It was 1987 in my husband's Southern Baptist Church. I gave my life to Christ at age 25, 26. My husband got a job and moved across state. It was a good move overall, but it had a lot of challenges with it. It was just a struggle to adjust. I just started falling into a depression. As time went on, things just didn't get any better with the depression. In the year 2000, I attempted suicide. I just felt so hopeless, so depressed, so dark. I didn't see any way out. And then the Lord brought us to Texas. We were brought to Faith Family through someone that my husband worked with. It had everything in it that we were looking for. We were able to connect. We got in a Sunday school group, was invited to Ladies Bible Study. I've been there ever since. From the day I walked in here, I felt like I was home. So here I am now, all these years later, and I'm able to serve God in ways that I never thought I actually could. I serve in the women's ministry and in the married ministry with my husband. I'm just really blessed to be able to do that and uh, be able to reach as many people as I possibly can. We're just really blessed to be able to be here and be able to be used by God. We have a life that I never, ever dreamed of in my life before, ever. God had so much more for me. Yeah, Jesus is worth everything. If He is all I have, He's all I want. He's all I want to get through this life, because He's all we need. Join us at asignificantlife.com for more impact testimonies and to join our tribe. You'll also receive encouragement with Pastor Jim Graff's free weekly Step into Significance devotional. Visit asignificantlife.com today.